Welcome back, Wanderers. Today we will explore one of the greatest love stories of literature, Baron and Luthien. We'll explore the meeting of Baron and Luthien in the forests of Doriath, the impossible quest that Luthien's father gives to Baron, spoiler alert, it involves a Silmaril, and the depths of Sauron's dungeons where Baron is held captive. I'll be analyzing a portion of the chapter called Of Baron and Luthien from a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published after his death in 1977 by Ballantine Books. A link to purchase the Silmarillion from Amazon is in the show notes. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lago Vanyan, fellow wanderers. Today's episode date is April 29. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 3018, Frodo begins making plans for his departure from Back End, and he has no idea that in the next 12 months, he and Sam will travel through Rivendell, Moria, Lothlorien, Gondor, and Mordor before destroying the One Ring. Whew. So let's just let him enjoy a peaceful spring morning in the Shire for now. This is adapted from theonering.net. Let's check the map and remember where we are. If what I'm about to say doesn't make any sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and come back to this one. It is the first age of Middle-earth. Morgoth, the Dark Lord, has sundered the elven siege against him. Baron, a man, has been driven from his homeland by Sauron and his army. Baron has traveled through a haunted land of monsters, and his doom has driven him into the protected kingdom of Doriath, where no mortal man has yet entered. As a reminder, look for some common motifs, like physical suffering, the power of song, light versus shadow, and liminal spaces, and not to mention the overall theme of mortality versus immortality. We begin today as Baron becomes the first mortal to enter the realm of Doriath. After passing through the haunted land, Baron stumbles into Doriath. It's summertime and he wanders for a time in the woods. One evening he sees Luthien dancing in the moonlight. She is the only child of the elven king Thingol and the Maiar Melian. As soon as he sees her, quote, all memory of his pain departed from him and he fell into an enchantment, for Luthien was the most beautiful of all the children of Luvatar. Let's pause and look at this for a moment. Let's rewind thousands of years to the time of the Great March of the Elves as they leave the land of their awakening to journey to Valinor. On that journey, Thingol, then leader of the Teleri, was riding alone through the woods when he first saw Melian the Maiar. Similar to Baron, Thingol also falls enchanted by his instant love for Melian, so much so that his brother has to lead the Teleri to Valinor in Thingol's stead. So this is a classic case of boy meets girl, and in both cases, the boy is wildly out of his league. Melian was a Maiar, essentially a demigod, and Luthien was an elf, blessed with immortality, rather than the mortal man Baron. Remember this point when we get to Thingol's reaction to Baron later on. Let's examine also how Luthien is described. Her clothing is blue as the unclouded heaven, her eyes are gray as the starlit evening, her mantle is sewn with golden flowers, and her hair is dark as the shadows of twilight. And said quite poetically, quote, As the light upon the leaves of trees, as the voice of clear waters, as the stars above the mists of the world, such was her glory and her loveliness, and in her face was a shining light. What a lovely image. So notice the contrast here. Baron passes through a haunted land, coming out gray and bowed, whereas Luthien is arrayed in various colors, in glory and shining light. It's no wonder that as soon as Baron sees Luthien, he remembers not his pain and horror. One quick reference to bring up here. This is a line from The Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo is in Rivendell and he first sees Elrond's daughter Arwen. Quote, in whom it was said that the likeness of Luthien had come on earth again. And just as Arwen will love a mortal man in the Third Age, in the First Age, Luthien will also. 
but not yet. Luthien vanishes from Baron's sight. Having no other name for her, Baron calls her Tenuviel, meaning Nightingale, daughter of Twilight. I hope you've seen some of the liminal spaces already. Summer passes to autumn, passing to winter. Then spring comes, and Luthien is singing a song that, quote, released the bonds of winter. Notice this phrasing, winter is a bondage, and Luthien releases bondage and brings forth the new life of springtime through her song. But spring isn't the only thing released from a frozen bondage, for her song also brings Baron out of his enchanted trance, and he calls to her. She doesn't vanish this time, but rather looks at Baron, and it was love at first sight. Or as Tolkien writes it, quote, as she looked on him, doom fell upon her, and she loved him. And in his fate, Luthien was caught, and being immortal, she shared in his mortality. They spend the spring and summer wandering through the woods of Doriath, and none others, quote, have had so great joy, though the time was brief. All right, let's examine Luthien's father, King Fingal, for a bit. He was a noble elf, chief of those who remained in Beleriand, although he himself had seen the light of the two trees. His wife is Melian the Maiar, a powerful being in her own right. Fingal loves his daughter above everything else contrasted with his disdain against mortal men. So when Baron is finally discovered, Thingol is angry and amazed, but Luthien is able to convince him to swear an oath to her that he would not slay or imprison Baron. Nevertheless, he sends to have Baron brought in as a criminal, and instead, Luthien brings Baron to Thingol's throne as if he were an honored guest. So notice who the wise character here is, Luthien. She seems to be two steps ahead of her father. We know that Galadriel was close to Melian, and that Celeborn was a kinsman to Thingol, so I imagine that they would have been present during the Inquisition of Baron. Thingol questions who the, quote, unhappy mortal is, naming him a thief. Baron says nothing, being overwhelmed with the glory he sees around Thingol and Melian. Luthien answers for him, naming his name and lineage and the great deeds he has done. But Thingol isn't satisfied, saying, quote, let Baron speak, and alleging Baron with such motivations as insolence and folly. Notice now where Baron gets his strength from. He looks into the eyes of Luthien, and he also glances at Melian, and, quote, words were put into his mouth. Who put the words into his mind to speak? We don't know. Perhaps it was Melian, seeing the doom of Baron and knowing what the consequences of his coming to Doriath would be. We've seen in other stories that elves can sometimes have telepathic-like power of communication with men, like Finrod meeting the House of Beor or Galadriel with the Fellowship in Lothlorien. As this little comment from Boromir alludes to, quote, she thought to read our thoughts for her own good purpose. Perhaps it was even Galadriel. Regardless of how the words were given to Baron, the pride of his house encourages him, and he speaks bold words to Thingol, and he makes known his love for Luthien. The whole court falls silent at the brashness of Baron, thinking that Thingol would slay him. Thingol breaks the silence, saying that Baron has indeed earned death with his boldness, but he regretfully stays true to the oath he swore to Luthien. He insults Baron as base-born mortal, accusing him of creeping in secret like Morgoth's spies. Baron refutes the insults, raising the ring of body here, and defends the honor of his house. Malia leans over to Thingol and whispers a warning to be careful, quote, For not by you shall Baron be slain. Thingol recognizes the ring, but says that the deeds of the father are not enough to win the hand of his daughter, so he issues forth a mighty challenge to Baron, quote, Bring to me in your hand a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, and then, if she will, Luthien may set her hand in yours, then you shall have my jewel. And though the fate of Arda lie within the Simrails, yet you shall hold me generous. In issuing this challenge, Thingol no doubt believed he was being wise. How could a mere mortal man, in his eyes, accomplish what all the armies of the Noldor could not for hundreds of years? In fact, the Simrails hadn't even been seen since Morgoth stole them, 
and were set in his iron crown, protected by balrogs and, quote, countless swords and strong bars and unassailable walls and the dark majesty of Morgoth. Surely, Thingol must have thought, Baron would back down from his claim, or die in the attempt, a win-win for Thingol. Yet with this challenge, Thingol, quote, wrought the doom of Doriath and was ensnared within the curse of Mondos. Ah yes, a snag. Even if Baron somehow manages this impossible feat, remember the oath that Feanor and his sons made? That no being could withhold the Silmaril or prevent their claim upon them? Thingol is swimming in deep waters here. And was this really a win-win for Thingol? Melian, his wise wife, points out to him later that should Baron die in the attempt or actually fulfill it, either way he has, quote, doomed either his daughter or himself. Upon hearing the challenge, Baron laughs, saying, quote, For little price do elven kings sell their daughters, but if this be your will, Thingol, I will perform it. And when we meet again, my hand shall hold the Silmaril from the Iron Crown, for you have not looked the last upon Baron, son of Barahir. He says farewell to Luthien, bows to Thingol and Melian, and departs the halls of Menegroth alone. After he leaves, Luthien falls into silence, and she no longer sang in Doriath. Quote, A brooding silence fell upon the woods and the shadows lengthened in the kingdom of Thingol. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. So, Parent begins his quest to reclaim a Silmaril in his hand and win the hand of Luthien, if she will have him. Spoiler, she would. Having nowhere else to go, he heads to Nargothrond, the realm of King Finrod, perhaps in search of counsel or aid. As he enters the land, he holds the Ring of Badahir above him and claims an audience with the king, so the elven guards escort him to Finrod. Finrod knows Baron, and as Baron tells his story beginning from his father's death, Finrod listens in wonder and he remembers his own oath to Badahir and realizes that his life is intertwined with this quest and he will die as he foretold to his sister Galadriel many years before. He explains to Baron that the oath of Feanor and his sons has been triggered and, quote, he that even names the Silmarils in desire moves a great power from slumber. Even now, after the Battle of Sudden Flame, two of Feanor's sons dwell in Nargothrond and even though Finrod is king, he doesn't trust the brothers and believes they will not be merciful to Baron when they learn of his quest. Quote, Yet my own oath holds, and thus we are all ensnared. Finrod speaks with his people, announcing his intent to accompany and aid Baron in this quest. The sons of Feanor rise up and make their claim on the Silmarils, and recite their oath they swore in Valinor long ago. Many other words they speak, and it became clear to Finrod that the will of the people was given to them. 
He takes the crown from off his head and asks for faithful companions to help him and Baron. Ten volunteer. One of them lifted the crown and asks Finrod to give it to a steward until he returns as king. Sound familiar? The stewards of Gondor? That was obviously a line of men, but we see here a precedent for that event that will happen many thousands of years later. Finrod gives the crown to his brother Orodraith, who had been driven out of his tower of Minas Tirith by Sauron during the Battle of Sudden Flame. Two sons of Feanor say nothing, quote, but they smiled and left the halls. Baron, Finrod, and their companions leave Nargothrond and head north. They find a company of orcs, slay them, and put on their gear as a disguise, with some generous help by the power of Finrod. They attempt to pass through the valley that Sauron's tower guarded, but were unaware of the standing order that all servants of Morgoth who passed that way were to report their doings to Sauron. Therefore, he sent to stop them and bring them to him. And, quote, thus befell the contest of Sauron and Finrod Felagund, which is renowned. For Finrod strove with Sauron in songs of power. And the power of the king was very great, but Sauron has the mastery. So this is something I find unique to Tolkien's works. Yes, we have battles and swords and axes. We see epic, good versus evil, strategic wars. But we also have battles of the band, as it were. Contests of power played out through song. Remember way back in episode 1 where we covered the creation of the world? That was done by music. Let's go way back to the first pages of the Silmarillion. Iluvatar, quote, propounded to them themes of music. It was music that literally created the world of Lord of the Rings. And it was Morgoth's musical themes that first sowed discord in the music of the Ainur. And he and Iluvatar had the first ever battle of song. Even the two trees of Valinor were wrought by powerful songs of creation and light. All throughout the Lord of the Rings books, there are snatches of song and verse. Even this tale that we're examining today. Tolkien claimed it came from a song called The Lay of Leithian, of which he only wrote sections but never published in full. And I think Tolkien wisely captures this phenomena of the human spirit. Sometimes we don't have words to explain what we're feeling, but through music, powerful emotions can be expressed and even moved. Imagine watching a movie without any music. It wouldn't be the same. Think of the music of The Shire, for instance, as it's portrayed in Peter Jackson's movies. I'm going to guess that right now, in your head, you can hear a fiddle playing Howard Shore's amazing musical representation of The Shire. By the way, I'll share a link in the show notes to a spectacular podcast called The Soundtrack Show, which has a five-part series analyzing the music of the Fellowship of the Rings movie, including the influence of the composer Wagner. But returning to our tale, at this moment in the Silmarillion, Tolkien also changes from prose or narrative form to verse form and actually gives us some of the lay of Leithian about the contest of powers between Finrod and Sauron. Sauron chants a song of revealing, uncovering. Finrod rebuttals with a song of staying, resisting. They go back and forth, quote, the chanting swelled, Finrod fought. He sings of the undying lands in the west, but Sauron knows what happened there, and changes the song to recall the kinslaying at Alqualonde, and other suffering of the elves, quote, and Finrod fell before the throne. Then Sauron stripped him from their disguise. And though he learned that they were elves and a man, he could not yet extract from them their names or their mission. So, quote, he cast them into a deep pit, dark and silent torturing them and threatening them until they would reveal their purpose. Quote, From time to time they saw two eyes kindled in the dark, and a werewolf devoured one of the companions, but none betrayed their lord. Please join me next week, where we'll see how powerful Luthien and her music can be. But before we go, remember that line about Christopher Tolkien, that the tale of Baron and Luthien was the first that he remembered his father telling him? Well, he was actually a lot more specific about which scene he remembered. Quote, the element in the story that I recall in my mind's eye is that of the eyes of the wolves as they appeared one by one in the darkness of the dungeon of Thu. 
Imagine having that as your bedtime story. Hi friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost.